This is channel 253. In this episode of Gimme the Mic. So I did a very out there thing and I basically did a garbage audit in the middle of campus. And I just put down a tarp and I went around and we, so we went and took all the garbage cans and dumped them into the middle. Channel 253 is a member supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Give me the mic. Give me the mic. So hello and welcome to Give Me the Mic. It's a podcast of Channel 253 here in South Puget Sound. This podcast features community voices and community topics. My name is Julie Masura, and I will be hosting some of the episodes focusing on the state of Puget Sound. I have a series of invited guests join me to talk about their experiences studying the Puget Sound and how that work has led them to their current positions. All will be connected to our neighborhood, the 253. So hey, Tacoma, it's time to give me the mic. I came to Tacoma in 1975 when my father was stationed at McCord Air Force Base. I grew up in Tacoma in the Tacoma School District. I graduated from Lincoln High School and I spent my undergraduate and graduate career at Washington State University where I studied geology. After a number of adjunct teaching jobs, I was driving up and down the I-5 corridor. I returned to Tacoma to join the faculty at the University of Washington, Tacoma. I remember as a small child smelling that Tacoma aroma from the paper mill, eating the dirt in my backyard and not being able to swim in the water downtown Tacoma. I recall getting swimmer's itch from Wapato Lake. All the things that that, uh, I eventually connected to the state of our environment after teaching a number of environmental science classes at the University of Washington. So that's what brings me here today. I wanted to share my experiences with studying the Puget Sound. with a few badass women scientists from our region. So I'm really lucky to have a lot of friends um, that like to talk about nerdy things. Um, We're gonna share our connection with one another. We're gonna share some stories. We'll probably laugh a lot. And then um, I'd like for them to share their journeys along the way. So again, welcome to Give Me the Mic. My guest today is my dear friend, Catherine Crook. who we have so many, we've got a lot of history, um, um, but we're super excited to have you here today, Catherine. Catherine is the enterprise manager or GIS manager at the city of Kent. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Julie. Really good to be here with you. Hey, Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, that elevator pitch we've talked about in some of our classes. (laughs) 30 seconds or less. Roger that. I am a, I have an undergraduate degree in um, environmental science from UW Tacoma. I also have a master's of science in geospatial technologies from the University of Washington Tacoma. And with that, um, that allowed me, the master's program allowed me to 
push myself up into the management tier. But originally, um, I came to be an epidemiologist, and that didn't quite pan out because nobody in their right mind says, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I would love to be a GIS technician, not something anybody ever thinks of going down that path. Um, It's a doorway that was opened up to me at UW, and um, so I went down that path, and here I am almost, geez. 15 years later? 15, I think that's how long years? we've known each other. Yeah. yeah, something like that. It's been a really yeah. long time. So, yeah, so you so you make a choice that one day sitting in an advisor's office and then, boom, here you are. <laughs> and just to let you guys know, Catherine's um, classroom where she taught GIS was right next to my lab. And so that's how we got to know mm-hmm. each other. So, mm-hmm. um, so. I always like to start our conversations off with asking this one question. What was the nerdiest thing you did this week? I, I worked on a um, architecture redesign of a server system for the GIS enterprise system. For the city or for, for the city? No, okay. not for not for not for all. Just for the city, um, we are now enterprise as of last year, and so we had to reconfigure a lot of our servers. So that all starts with kind of um, a redesign on pen and paper, right. and navigating a system that way. What is enterprise, anyways? I saw that's your new. That's my new posh yeah. title. Yeah, my new posh title comes with um, it's. Enterprise means that it's going across all divisions and it crosses lots of multiple different um, areas. So previously we were in the public works department and um, now we are a service that is going out to all city departments as it should. Because when GIS first started, they kind of kept you um, where you were. So got a little question here saying that what does GIS mean? Ah. So that's great. Um, GIS is geographic information systems. And so what it is, is it allows um, spatial location of anything, anything. So an XY is associated to the desk I'm sitting at, to the computer I move around, to a building, to a road, to a street light to a sign to a anything that moves there's an xy and that's considered a um to a city in our perspective is an asset yeah so that asset needs to be tagged located managed and um basically you know moving forward we kind of get our ratings from the rest of the city you know like groups of um, where we sit are we a smart city? Are we not? So, so talking about geographic information systems, you know, I know that you've had a connection definitely to environmental services and doing stuff with yeah. science. And sound. So what, why, um, I actually wanted to kind of, uh, kind of goat you on about this, but, um, you know, why do you think it's really important for GIS when, when we've got all this science going on, what, what is the, the connection and, and why is it very important to um, use GIS to interpret our data? Well, we use it because it's um, a location that we can find over and over again. So no matter what happens to the space, the terrain or anything that's 
um, happening around us, we can always go back to that X, Y. So um, one of the biggest things I always say is that, you know, if a lahar came down from the mountain now and wiped everything out beyond anybody's understanding. The mountain, you mean Mount Rainier? Mount Rainier, yes. Coming down the Puyallup River and the White River, right? Correct. Real, right? Yeah, it could happen. I mean, let's hope it doesn't happen, but it could happen. And if that occurred, then we can go back in after everything's settled and go. So you wouldn't have a landmark and you wouldn't know where you were, but you could always go back to that X, Y and say, your piece of land started here, ended here. So for X, Y, you're talking about like the latitude and longitude, like this is going to be like satellites can help us find it. Right. So the geographic part is that X, Y is like, where how, you know that how we use our telephone and our cell phone to, to correct something yeah i got gotcha. you yeah. yeah so if you know and the science part of it is like if we are taking samples or somebody brings in um any kind of data associated to a location then we are able to go back to that exact location each and every time and get the same um sample so that we're not guessing yeah. So you're looking, so one of the things that um, I know you've done to support my science, right, mm-hmm. is to help try to take the data and try to do some interpreting. In fact, I know that was your master's thesis, Correct. right? So, so what were some of the, the things that you were able to, to kind of find uh, with our data? And, and maybe a little background about that. Okay. So, um, and I'll so help since- you. So since I was, I've been around a while, um, I was noticing that some of the researchers and the scientists at UW were collecting a lot of data and putting it on a shelf, kind of in our, what I would consider on a shelf and not really interpolating or extracting anything out of it because they didn't have the mechanisms to go in there and do proper um, analysis on it. So by going in and cracking open their data sets and and putting it in in a more um, um, available space allowed us to see things differently. Mm -hmm. So if we took samples, you know, Dr. Cheryl Greengrove and you have been working on that for, you know, uh, those sampling projects for a while. And if you went back to that same space, you could see a change over time. But you wouldn't be able to see that if the data was just sitting in a Excel spreadsheet. So we kind of take that Excel spreadsheet and put it to life. So now you can see. Yeah. Yeah. So it's visualization of the. So we visualize Excel. Yeah. So why do you think anybody, uh, why would the community care? Well, one of the, yeah. Why does the community, they do care. They care a lot. Um, Like right now, we've just created an application where, um, you know, so when people think of data, they think um, scientific data and they Mm -hmm. don't think just, yeah, they're very focused on, you know, pH values or, um, you know, how much is this and how much is that. And really that is part of it, but um, there's a whole other side of it that actually gets used more frequently than the scientific side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like right now, I just got asked this morning how people send me links all the time at work and go, how hard is this? And you click on it and you're like, well, that's not hard. Like we can make that. 
What and is it's, a, it's a dashboard of a park's um, interface of if a resident wants to know um, where the basketball courts are, if a resident wants to know where a covered picnic table is, um, where there's a beach front or where there's lifeguards at the beach. So they want to be able to query that data that we supposedly have somewhere on a shelf sitting in Excel, I'm sure, but um, or we don't have it at all and we have to create it. So we're kind of in that um, situation where, um, you know, I can make you every interface on the planet and interact. You can interact, but if the data is not there, you're not interacting with much. So I I said, well, you know, so you can, a picnic bench is a piece of data. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you have to do those resources, knowing where those resources are and make yeah, it we're, so that right. the community can actually have get- access to it, ah. right? And because they use a lot of um, apps on their phone already, that seems to be the norm and the go-to of how they interact with these types of applications. Do you remember when we first started doing GIS a couple of decades ago mm-hmm. was we would print these pretty maps and people would smile and stuff. But now, you know, communities have access to looking at different uh, looking that you could you could probably find an application to see where all the wastewater treatment plants are. You know, right. Yeah. 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 Right. So it's um, it's one of those things where you don't know your like so many times I go into meetings and they don't know they're using it. Ah. And you bring it to their attention, but it's so assimilated into their everyday use that um, they don't think about it. And so somebody has to collect that information to provide it to them. One of the things that I wanted to do with this, um, this you know, short program that I was mm-hmm. invited to help host was to talk about science and, and, and we always talk about STEM, right? Science and technology, right? right? And, and engineering and math. And, and we always forget that technology part. And I think it's right. that people are very aware that technology is not a scary thing. It's not computer science. No. It's, it's definitely just ways to communicate digitally and visually. Yeah important information really important information and anybody can do it yeah yeah right because we have toddlers that are um swiping on ipads and asking really important questions and you're like we can't answer as 50 year old i'm like i'm I'm gonna need a day right (laughs) back to you encyclopedia just in guys don't know what those are those are books that used to have all the information yeah they don't even understand that that's right and what go ahead and what's funny about that is you know there's these really smart um students that are coming up and out of the programs and um the way they think and interact with that is completely different than the way we used to yeah yeah we've got some great stories to share about that hey i want to back you up I'm going to mm-hmm. back you way up. When did way you decide you wanted to be a scientist? When did that happen? Maybe it's not that far mm-hmm. for you though, right? So yeah, talk to me about your your wish to be a science. And I didn't think about it that way. I thought about, I wanted, well, I mean, uh, well, my, so I grew up in Canada on Vancouver Island and I wanted to get off the island as which is really funny to me because ever since that point of being wanting to get off that island, I've been on an island ever since. So, um, 
leaving the island, I was like, what do I have to do to get off of here? And, oh, I have to win this, this rotary, you know, international um, project space in order to leave for a year and be an exchange student. So I did that and I, and I moved to Japan. And then when I was in Japan, I learned how to speak Japanese, right? Because I was basically plopped down and said, you need to go, you know, if you want to go to the bathroom, you're going to have to figure out how to say that in Japanese. And I was put in a rural environment in Japan, kind of up north. And then I was, then I came back and I had won two scholarships and I chose not to go with either one of them because I didn't want to be on the island anymore. (laughs) So then... I was like, I had met a girl in Hawaii, in um, Japan, who was living in Hawaii. And she said, you should come here. They all speak Japanese. I was like, getting on a plane, going to Japan. Yeah. So I went down, going to Hawaii. So I moved to Hawaii. And then um, I always wanted to do international business and law because my it started in that. I know, it's so weird. But that's just, okay, go ahead. But back then, that's how that kind of happens. Okay. Yeah. Right. And you're like, oh, well, I speak, you know, and in Canada, we had to learn French too. So I'm like, I got three languages. I mean, I should be doing something with this. That's my only asset right now. So I'm going to go do international business because I've been international. I can do this. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, I don't really want to do that. And then I was like, so then I kind of started looking at, um, I went to school to do business. And then when I got to business, it's super boring. It dry, didn't like it. Didn't the teachers weren't very interesting. They weren't doing anything cool. And then all and then, you know, they in your in your undergrad, they make you do like some science classes, you know, to broaden it out a bit. And I did chemistry. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I was really good at chemistry. And I was like, oh, I really like this. So then from chemistry, I kind of went, okay, well, what do I want to do with this? And I was like, well, take a biology class. Well, I liked biology, not as much as I liked chemistry. Biology is a bunch of memorization. So then from there, I was, I was infatuated with the epidemiology and viruses and how that they move throughout the body. And um, basically, it was spatially mapping. Yeah, humans, right? Humans, yeah. right? If you really think yeah. about it. Right. Like, you know, point of entry, what happens, what's flying coming out to kill it, what's going on with it. And so then I was applying to the program up at UW Seattle and, um, and I got to the point where they were like, okay, well come up here and talk with us. So I did. And, um, and by that time, cause I was an older student, right. I did not go right out of high school. Cause obviously I went to Hawaii and did a bunch of other stuff and the whole nother podcast, a whole nother story. <laughs> So then I ended up, so then I have two sons and um, they were at the time 10 and eight and 10 or something like that. And I remember thinking, I can't be up in Seattle while I'm waiting, you know, what ends if something happens to them or they're in school or something. So I kept trying to make it work and it couldn't work. So what I needed was the first bachelor of science that was close by me, which ended up being UW Tacoma. And then, um, and then I started getting more into it. And I really liked the um, my teachers there, my professors, because they really understood, oh, you don't, want, like, I did not want to go out and touch fish. <laughs> oh, I which was is funny, because you have. 
I mean, I'll do it if I have to, but it's not like, it's not something I really want to get out there and and get into. And so, so I was doing more, like I spent a lot more time down in the nursing section back in the day. You're allowed to do that because there wasn't a whole lot of choices. So you got to cross your classes a little bit. And so I took a lot of immunology. I took a lot of uh, virology classes down there that counted for my environmental science degree. Mm-hmm. which then translated into insects and epidemiology um, for um, entomology. Yeah. And so one of the professors there, Dr. John Banks, he was kind of like, well, wait a minute. You know, there's a whole, I go to Costa Rica and there's a whole bunch of stuff happening down in Costa Rica that, you know, could use a little immunology, biology, look at it and a little space, spatial components too. Huh. Yeah. So that's how it ended up. So you became an entomologist. No, not really. But not really. But all of this stuff, you know, when you talked about your international uh, business desires, mm-hmm. learning Japan, Japanese and stuff like that. Um, one thing I'd like for you to share with everybody is your tour that you did of the shoreline with one of our um, science professors. You're kidding. You're going to make me <laughs> Well, you don't have to talk about the detail, but the thing okay. is, is we've used one of those skills. You actually had an opportunity from becoming a scientist and walking along the beaches, right? Correct. Correct. You don't have to go into the. No, we won't go into those details. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so during a summer, um, some of the professors, um, we have a sister school at UW Tacoma and that sister school is Keio University in Japan. Yeah. And Keio University in Japan is quite pre- prestigious. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's Tokyo University and there's Keio University. And so they were sponsoring students to come over. And there was a cohort that summer of maybe 28, 26 students. And I remember um, and back then UW Tacoma used to only be for a two-year program. So it wasn't this full four-year program school. So that it was a much smaller campus and everybody kind of knew each other a little more um, comfortably. And uh, he, Dave Secord, Dr. Secord, who was, um, what was he, a chair to the environmental science program or something like that? He came over and he was like, hey, I heard a weird rumor that you speak Japanese. And I was like, yep. And he goes, I could use some help this summer. So could you, um, could you please help me and work with these students? And I said, sure, sure. So we took them out to Friday Harbor and they had, you know, they arrived and they were just like, none of them had really left Japan before. Um, You know, I had a whole bunch of them over at my house to kind of get them acclimated. They had never, you know, they spent a good 10, 15 minutes in the kitchen with the ice machine because yeah. they were like, you just push it and ice comes out of it. That's fascinating. Yeah. And they were fascinated by all these things that, oh, the washing machine and dryer is still in your, you know, right here. It's huge. How do you house that in an entire room? Yeah. And so, um, so we spent the time with them and we took them up to Friday Harbor on the ferry Friday Harbor is a, a, a research station up in the San Juan Islands. So this is a part of the University of Washington. Um, but yeah, so that's what's kind of unique about this. It's actually a, a, a wonderful location. Yeah. It, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And then we housed them in the, there's um, school. I didn't house with them, but there was um, 
I stayed in a nicer place. Yeah. One of the student, no, what is it called? Like where the. We have dorms for students. Dorm students and. Yeah. And little shared bungalows on the beach. Yeah. And um, the students though, we were out with one. So for some reason, Dr. Secord was not with us that day. So we got all these Japanese students up to where they were. And then we ended up, um, he said, well, tomorrow I want to take them out onto the um, shoreline and walk along the shoreline. Sure. And um, he was a very eccentric type of person, I felt. And he showed up the next morning on a float plane. How funny. Just all very kind of elaborately showed up and landed in front of us and got off the plane and then started the tour. <laughs> but he couldn't have done it without you. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's he was quite an interesting, it was an interesting situation where both words collide. And I mean, and that collided too at the Port of Tacoma when I was the GIS um, yeah. analyst there. So they also used that skill because we had... Um, the Japanese army came in and they came up to the admin and the administration building and said, Hey, we heard you speak Japanese. Could you come out onto the tide flats with us and navigate some military members around? That's great. So it has come in handy. I love it. That's so awesome. And it, it was a, it's a long journey, but I wanted to, um, we're going to go ahead and just take a quick break now mm-hmm. um, to just to recognize, uh, just to get some messages from our sponsors um, and then when we come back, I'd like to, to talk a little bit about more uh, more about um, your involvement in the Salish Sea and how you've kind of uh, really kind of contributed to some of the uh, programs and research mm-hmm. projects that we have around the region. So we'll go ahead and take a break right now. Thank you. Okay. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling, and you can rest easy knowing you're gonna get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you wanna learn more, visit movetacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. Welcome back to Give Me the Mic. Um, thank you very much to our sponsors for their continued support of this con- uh, podcast. Um, Catherine, you know, I, I know, obviously, we know each other pretty well. But one of the things that I'm always amazed at as the, is the progress that you made while on, on the University of Washington's campus um, with respect to sustainability. And I know you were one of the first presidents for our um, 
and what was it? The environmental back then it was called um, Project Earth. Project Earth. Yeah, we still have a you know not as prolific, but we have a Project Earth. Because mm-hmm. can you tell me some of the programs that you introduced to? the university's campus that actually kind of transferred to the city of Tacoma. Yes. So um, this campus at that time had been around for about 10 years, eight years or something, 10 years or so. And I was a little surprised to see that one of the largest um, programs on campus at the time was the environmental science. And it was getting a lot of um, attention but there was no um, recycling bins on campus. So no, there was none anywhere. And I was uh, kind of taken back by it. And so I was like, okay, well, we need to start implementing this. And it ended up being a little harder than I originally thought. And so I was trying to get people's attention to really put some money behind it and start with a program to implement recycling. And nobody would listen. So I did a very out there thing. And I basically did a garbage audit in the middle of campus. And I just put down a tarp. And I went around and we, so we went and took all the garbage cans and dumped them into the middle. (laughs) And then as people were walking up and down and walking around, they were kind of like, what are you doing? What is happening? So people were stopping and asking us, questions but realizing we were impeding their space or their and so then they were like what do you mean there's no I was like no there's no recycling on campus and so we kind of put like we divided it all up and um, we realized that a lot of the garbage especially from students coming out could have been recycled and um, then we turned into a then they're like okay you got our attention let's get some money so then I wrote a grant, my very first grant, and I got it for $12,000 for the school. And um, I was like, okay, so what are we going to, so I had to go through these committees now, because now I have money and now I have to make sure I'm spending the money correctly. And then I realized that because we're a satellite campus, our garbage cans had to mirror the exact garbage cans up at the Seattle campus. Right. Yeah. So then I had to do some outreach with their maintenance facilities people. And then we were trying to like, I need to see it. So I had to go up there many times and look at a garbage cans. And then when I realized that one garbage can cost $1,200, I was a little surprised. And I'm like, why is this garbage can $1,200? Well, because it's got special paint on it because you don't have graffiti on it. Um, They, so that the person removing it, the person's job of removing it from the can, they don't hurt. So it's ergodynamic. And so the reason why it was so much is because it was outside or these yeah. outside trash. Yeah. So, so that, you know, not that it, it makes an excuse, but you can understand that they're not just like a trash can that you have by your desk. These are like some beefed up, you know. Yeah. They were going to go outside of each building and down the stairway, down to the pack high. Uh, and I mean, so by the time it all ended and all uh, delivery charges and everything, I think we got eight. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're still here. Yeah. Just, yeah, we barely got hardly any of them. And I was a little disappointed because I was like, oh, my gosh, all that work. And we got eight trash cans. But then we had to um, coordinate with the city of Tacoma because the city of Tacoma didn't realize 
that a campus of this side in the middle of their city didn't have any type of um, recycling services. And so then that um, turned into me attending a lot more meetings with the city and then sitting and making sure that they had direction on who, where to put the recycling on campus. Once we, they're going to empty the cans, where is it going to go? And then the city had to come and pick that up. So there was like this back end type of um, connect the dots that um, I wasn't expecting at all. And remember you were just an undergraduate student. I was, was, it was my, it was my first year. Yeah. 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 And I, and again, every time I see, um, oh, the little can crusher outside my, I think of you, I think of you, those little aluminum can crushers that (laughs) out your cans once you crush them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But then again, that gave me access to the um, Pierce County solid waste advisory committee. And they were, and so that's somebody I met at the city who then said, Hey, do you want to sit on our council? Right. On the committee. And I said, yeah. And so we just happened to be writing the entire Pierce County um, recycling because glass was not recycled at that time. And so we were looking at how to incorporate that. And there was machinery that we had to go look at and reports we had to read. And then we had to meet once a month and bring our feedback in. So it gave me access to a space that I would not normally have access to as a student. Yeah. And then from that, I made, I met, I met um, the LRI, which is basically LeMay's. So, and LeMay garbage and all that. So then they started asking me to do things for them. So then I did a little bit of. What's an LR? LRI is the large garbage capacity. They are the people that remove our garbage from our area. Yeah. So LeMay takes it and gives it to LRI. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And who knew that, you know, we were going to start this conversation and, and, and well, not end, but just kind of <laughs> make our way to trash, right? And sustainability right. and recycling. But it's an interesting, you know, inner kind of connectedness of, you know, this business, international business person becomes the garbage expert, or say the recycling. <laughs> I do expert. know. I do know a lot about it. <laughs> and it never seems to amaze me in that the, as long as we've known each other for mm-hmm. about 10 years, it's always something new, Catherine. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, how did you end up at the city of Kent? I mean, well, can you take us um, through your GIS pass or path? So you were, you're doing geographic information systems, right? You graduated with a bachelor's degree. You came back and taught at the university for a little while. And now you're the manager at the city of Kent. How is your work in the environment and around the Puget Sound kind of brought you to this position? I think it, um, okay, so I had this broad understanding of, you know, um, you know, because when you go through the program as a, at UWT, you're, you're a little bit of everything. So you're a scientist of chemistry, biology, ecology, you know, you've got it, you know, it's all wrapped up into one space. And, um, and you can either, you know, do your own research and your own analysis, or you can do your own research and then you kind of have to pass it on to someone else for them to kind of 
massage it, look at it, and then give you your information back. Or you might have a friend or a grad student or whatever it is now um, that kind of helps you in those realms that you don't really understand. And um, previously, they, you know, like you had mentioned early, Julia, you said like, you know, we used to make pretty maps. Yeah. Which we did because we put them in the reports to show where we did our research, right? And so we did a lot of cartography and made things look nice. And then we realized, oh, wait, on the back end of those pretty maps was some data and some information that maybe we could analyze ourselves. And so you have to go to, you know, it was a requirement to take statistics. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people take it just to, to get that check mark. And I was like, well, if I'm taking statistics and all these other harder math classes, I want to be able to understand my own data. And so that's kind of how I looked at it. Like, why would I hand it off or give it to someone else to um, take a look at when I could probably get it done just as fast myself and keep it all in house, kind of manage it all and yeah. look at it. So that kind of helped me. And I knew, I knew coming out of school as an older student, I needed a skill. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I didn't have, so the younger students that are coming out, right, they have, you know, the first five, 10 years to kind of get that ladder going, right? So they can kind of make um, a, a place for themselves. And I knew I didn't have that time. So mm-hmm. I needed to kind of catapult out and land something. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew that a hard skill such as data analytics of that would allow me to be able to do something without having to rely on anybody else. So I was a one person environment. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to think about, yeah, you're just, you're just jumping and trying to feet first, you know, you you know, what does, what, you know, what's the connection with the community? Why does anybody really care? But it's really, you're the person that's taking all of this free data. I mean, think about, as a government agency, as a university, any kind of public funding is owned by the community, right? We right. own data. But yep. if you go onto the website to try to find that data, so it's very difficult to find. But if you use these tools for um, and to create these, what, what did you call it? The dashboard, you know, where you can get that data, you know, you can go and find, um, let's say a map, you could type in your zip code and you can find out where the highest pollutants from the Tacoma Correct. structure is, right? And so this mm-hmm. is what really is so important and crucial. And, and why I wanted to bring you on today is just to talk about, just to, to make people very aware that not only is that data for the community free and it but it's not very accessible now I think more agencies are, are trying to share that information through the skills that you have and and the cool thing about Catherine is that she's got people who work for her now you know she's she's gone from the bottom you know mm-hmm. bottom relative but she kind of came through and and now she's she's uh definitely has a cadre of people that support this in her local uh, city, but this is true for the Pierce uh, Pierce County, the Tacoma or city of Tacoma yeah. partnership, of course. Yeah. So yeah, I sit on a King County Regional um, Committee for GIS, and um, and we are, you know, we 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 all get together. There's lots of different. Um, committees and groups that we all participate in and we all exchange information and we're making sure that it's transparent. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So are we are we collecting the data just for ourselves or we're trying to push it out there so that people can download it? One of the biggest issues, we, I mean, uh, the city has, but also I have, is um, public um, requ- record requests. Yeah. yeah. So there must be, I think our, our city clerk must do over 4,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And out of that, you know, quite a few of them are for data. Mm. And um, if and so the first one of the first things I did when I went to the city of Kent was implement an open data portal mm. so that you can go if you're looking for certain data sets and just download them for free because we're not you know we're we've we put them in a in an environment where they're able to be downloadable and used so that way um, if you're looking for the zoning or the comp comprehensive plan or you're looking for um, road center lines, just go and download it. You do not have to put in a public records request. So leave that for more of the tech, you know, like the more land use type stuff. Yeah. And, you know, for the listeners, it's just, you know, you have access to all this data and we're, you know, with people like you and and the work that I do, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I can't provide that data, but it's, it's publicly available and it's so important to get that out there and to be able to share that with the community so that they can, for whatever they need to use it for, you know, they'll right. have access to it because they're paying for it. Right. And that's another really important mm-hmm. thing. Transparency. Yeah. They're paying for it. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a while to get it. QAQC, get the quality control, yeah. and get it, but, and get it published, but definitely um, is something that is accessible. Mm-hmm. So, I just wanted to ask, um, so you've kind of shared some pretty fun stuff, but what's something that's, um, that's really unique about you that you would like to share with our listeners? So while I, so I lived in Japan when I was younger and then I just had a chance to go back, um, in 2011 in March (laughs) and, um, that coincides. Significant. (laughs) Um, was it, or 2010? Yeah, 20, no, 2011, 2011. And, um, and the earthquake that hit um, Fukushima occurred. And so when I was there, I helped as a, um, a, a spot mapper. So you, because there was no imagery of the infected area from the tsunami, and so we all got anybody that had a laptop and had access, they gave us all open portal access to a site where we looked at tiles of imagery. And that, um, unfortunately, in Japan, things are done a little differently than the rest of the world. And so they didn't have good imagery, but two car um, companies, Toyota and um, one other one, I can't remember the name of it, but they were able to give us, because they do everything by sat-nav, and they do everything by no address. Navigation. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Everything is satellite navigation. And so they, um, so they provided the tiles, and our job was to look at what was occurring, what, what used to be there, and what's there. And all we did was say, that needs to be looked at, that needs to be looked at, um, or that looks the same. I think it's fine for now. And you were doing it at such high frequency of tile analysis that um, we were able to get through large, large sections of the um, area. And then we were invited to the uh, Tokyo or 
um, into Tokyo where we went to a, uh, a com- not really a conference, but a gathering with the land managers. And then they were able to give us our final, like what the final imagery looked like on the big screen and went through it all. Right. And expressed it. But only the, I mean, but it happened, people were volunteering all over the world. Right. It wasn't just, you know, I just happened to be, you know, one prefecture away. So I was able to get on a train and go in. But most people were doing it from everywhere. Yeah, all over. Yeah. And that's think, very common. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's like this community science that happens yep. so um, organically and the, the contribution, the hours that you put in, you know, like, it's just all about opportunity. So, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. Cool. so that's unique. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the project a, we worked on was, well, we didn't really work on it. I didn't, yeah. I just went with you. So you can talk about being on the boat. Talk about your experience doing some research with Julie Mazura on a, <laughs> on a very cold night on the hook. Okay. Now. <laughs> but it's, it was beautiful. It was all blue sky the next, you know, that day. And we did some core sampling and um, took out some, cores from your various um, sample points throughout um, the region that you were looking at, which was um, the Hood Canal. And I, what was the bay called? Um, I have to look at. We might have been at Lynch Cove. It's, it's Lynch Cove is, if you guys know Hood Canal is one basin over from kind of the Comensa Bay, you hop over Gig Harbor to get to Hood Canal. Yeah. There's a little J hook and we were up in the J hook looking at harmful algae together. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. So I got Catherine out. She had to touch some fish or at least some mud. <laughs> I did for a little bit, but I could do it for a day. I don't want to do it for a career path, but I could do it for a day. I'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. Catherine, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been super fun. And, and I, I hope that we can have you back again and we can talk more about uh, um, your interpretation of barnacles uh, on uh, uh, rocks in, uh, up in uh, San Juan Island. So it's been fun mm-hmm. hearing your stories and about the work you're doing. Um, hey, listeners of Give Me the Bike, I just want you to stay tuned for additional comp conversations with some badass women scientists in Puget Sound. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Give Me the Mic is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.